The effect of Jesus' presence in the synagogue, of his reading from the scroll containing the words of the prophet Isaiah, of his declaration of prophecy that in the midst of the people gathered there in their very hearing, in him these words of the prophet were fulfilled, and in his summation and preview, as it were, of his public life and ministry, all this caused those who heard him to speak highly of him, to be amazed at the gracious words that came forth from his mouth. Does this formulation, the words that came forth from his mouth, sound a bit familiar? They could well, for we find these exact words in the fourth chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, in verse 4. This is the Gospel we hear on the first Sunday of Lent, when Jesus is tempted by the devil in the desert. The first of the devil's three temptations, he says, command that these stones become loaves of bread. And Jesus replies to the devil, it is written, one does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. In saying this, Jesus is quoting from chapter 8 in the book of Deuteronomy. Here it deals with remembering the exodus, the sojourn in the desert, God's testing of Israel to find out whether or not it was their intention to keep his commandments. For that reason, God let the, his people be afflicted with hunger, and then he fed them with manna, bread from heaven, a food unknown to them and to their fathers. He did this in order to show that not by bread alone do you live, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus, in quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, is calling to mind that God takes care of those who love him, even when natural means seem to fail them. The people's response, we are told, was short-lived. For by the end of today's gospel reading, these same people turned on him. They were filled with fury at him. They drove him out of their town. They led him to the brow of the hill on which their town had been built in order to hurl him down headlong. But he passed through their midst and went away, for his time had not yet come. In eight short weeks, we will gather here on Palm Sunday at the start of Holy Week. We will hear the gospel account of the Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We will see the whole multitude of the people come out to greet him and to accompany him, to lay down their cloaks on the ground before him, to cut palm branches and strew them on the ground preceding him. We will hear them crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This echoing the multitude of the heavenly host and of the angels who were praising God at the birth of Christ. <coughs> we will hear Jesus acclaimed by the crowds as teacher, Lord, son of David, the prophet, the king of Israel. <coughs> then within a few short days at the end of Holy Week, this same enthusiastic multitude of people will turn on him and full of fury and rage, clamor for the death of him whom they have just welcomed and confessed as Lord, Savior, Redeemer, and King. Why? The answer to this question of why emerges in both chapter 12 in the book of Revelation, that is the story of the rebellion of Lucifer against God and his battle with St. Michael the Archangel, and in Genesis 3, which is the account of the temptation, fall, and original sin of Adam and Eve. This sin of Adam and Eve rooted in the fall of the devil and his minions. With the fallen angels and with the fall of Adam and Eve, we see disobedience to God, envy, opposition to God, rejection of God and his reign and kingdom, rebellion and revolt, the death of trust in God the Creator, the preference of self to God, to the ways and the things of God. An antidote to what we find in Revelation 12 and Genesis 3 is given us in today's second reading and in the Gospel. Today's Gospel continues directly from last Sunday's. Jesus is teaching, rather than living in rebellion, revolt, opposition, and disobedience to God, we must live in and under the influence and guidance of the Spirit of the Lord, that Spirit who is upon us. This is the Spirit which was present at creation, hovering over the darkness, the churning, and the chaos of the waters, and who with the Father's divine Son brought forth light, life, and order at creation. This is the same Spirit of the Lord who descended upon the waters of the River Jordan and hovered over Jesus at his baptism. This is the same Spirit who, filling the apostles on Pentecost, is now being poured out upon the Church to forgive sin, to reconcile, heal, and to reestablish original holiness, making us agents or messengers of God's infinite and divine mercy. Life in the Spirit of God is marked by and is recognized by loving, selfless, generous service and love for one another, done in the name of Jesus and for the sake of Jesus. Pride, vanity, quarrels, which arise over 
the so-called spiritual gifts, says St. Paul, must fall by the wayside. It is not ultimately important if we have the gift of tongues or prophecy, if one gives alms or indeed all of one's possessions to the poor. This done without love is nothing. It means nothing. It matters not one iota. Love, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, indeed, the very center and the core of the Trinitarian life, is godlike. It is patient, kind, not jealous or envious, not proud or rude, not self-seeking, not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injuries, be they real or imagined. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing. Love is of God. God is love, as St. John instructs. Through our celebration of the Holy Eucharist this day, may we be impelled and driven by the Spirit of the Lord to enthusiastically acknowledge and acclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, Redeemer, and King, and so to live accordingly.